Welcome to From the Well, a podcast from the Academy for Spiritual Formation. We invite you to take the time to pause, center, and listen deeply. The content you will hear contains excerpts from faculty presentations recorded at Academy for Spiritual Formation events. The Academy is an international program ministry of the Upper Room that provides courses of retreat and study steeped in the rhythms and practices of contemplative life. For more information, please visit our website at academy.upperroom.org. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to From the Well. This is Rachel Kinney. There is a physicality to the Passion story and the Easter celebration. They have become beloved texts, But as I looked again this year, I was struck by all the walking. There is an awful lot of actual journeying, walking, traveling, slogging through, and hurrying, woven into the spiritual journeys of Jesus and those around him in his final days. The palm parade into Jerusalem, the Via Dolorosa, the walk to Emmaus. In the Easter story, faith goes beyond what you believe or what you say, And grace appears as the ability to take another step in anticipation, in fear, in pain, and in celebration. Faith is the ability to trust that there will be a next step. The cross and resurrection are often talked about as salvific in a way that negates the work and the way of the spiritual journey. But in this podcast, I want to explore the way that God shows up and provides new life not through shortcuts, but by walking with us. This God that walks with us delivered Israel on their exodus by providing a path for their journey and provisions on the path in manna. But they still had a journey. The incarnation of God, Christ, was a companion on the road, but did not take away all the problems of his disciples and the early church. They still had their own journeys to take. In short, we are not saved from the journey. We are saved because we are never alone on the journey. Elaine Heath, in her Academy 34 talk, explores this notion of the compassionate Christ. In this clip, she focuses on a vision of the mystic Julian of Norwich, who asked God for a vision of sin and hell, and was only ever offered images of grace and love. So God shows her this vision, a vision of this Lord who's sitting in a vast place. Of course, she's living in a time where there are lords, right? It's a feudal society. She sees this Lord and she describes him with courtly language. She says he's most courteous. He's warm and loving. He's approachable. He's most courteous. He's sitting there and he has a servant who loves him dearly who would do anything for him. It's the servant's joy to be the servant. And so the servant, uh, the Lord says to the servant, I want you to go and get this thing. And so the servant runs off in haste and joy. And in, in, in his exuberance, his childlike exuberance, falls into a dell, which means a deep gully. Falls in and is wounded with seven wounds. Well, of course, in medieval numerology, seven is the number of completeness, right? So the servant is harmed in all the possible ways a person can be harmed by by the fall, but is still alive. 
Then the worst wound of all, and she lists out what all the wounds are. I won't go into those right now. The worst wound is the servant is down in the bottom of this ravine, can't get out, thinks that the Lord is far away and doesn't know what's going on and feels very disappointed and hurt because he can't fulfill what the Lord has asked him to do. She says, but what the servant doesn't know is the Lord does see him and loves him all the more because in his exuberance he fell and is getting him out of there. And then you've got these chapters where she talks about how the Lord reaches down into the deep depths with this great root of salvation and pulls up the servant. Well, she uses all of the, uh, she goes on for several chapters interpreting what this means. But what she's really getting at in this parable is this. Um, do you remember in uh, the, Paul's theology, the Paul the Apostle, Pauline theology? Do you remember ever hearing of first and second Adam? And who is first Adam? Humanity. Right? Ha'adam, the people. And God made them male and female in God's image and said they were good. So we have humanity. Not just men, but humanity. A corporate humanity. The human race. And who is second Adam? Christ. So she sees that servant, servant and she's, she describes what actually we could call visual ambiguity. Did you ever see those images where you look at the picture and it's like a rabbit and suddenly your brain says, no, it's a duck? Or you look at it and it looks like an old woman and all of a sudden your brain says, no, it's a young woman and that's the hat. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah you're, our brains are not capable of seeing both those images at the same time. It has to keep switching back and forth. It's the way our brains are wired. It's a visual ambiguity. So Julian actually has this experience of seeing first and second Adam at the same time, and they are both the servant together. So this servant that she sees who falls into the dell in his zealous immaturity and desire and joy is both humanity and Christ. And what she says is, Christ loves us so much. The Trinity loves us so much that Christ cannot bear to be apart from us. Cannot bear it. So wherever we go, Christ must go because Christ is bound to us with love. What is it that it says in Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, right? Everything she sees is deeply scriptural. And so... In her theology, this experience of the fall, the falling into the dell, when we go down, Christ goes with us because Christ cannot bear to be away from us. And when Christ comes up with resurrection, Christ pulls us up with him because Christ can't bear to be away from us. This vision of a love so powerful that God is present to us physically reminds me of a quote by theologian Wendy Farley. She writes, Compassion does not stand outside the suffering and hand-wringing sympathy. It does not peer down on the victim and demand a stoicism that denies the pain. 
It begins where the sufferer is, in the grief, the shame, the hopelessness. It sees the despair as the most real thing. Compassion is with the sufferer, turned toward or submerged in her experience, seeing it with her eyes. This communion with the sufferer in her pain, as she experiences it, is the presence of a love that is a balm to the wounded spirit. This relationship of shared, sympathetic suffering mediates consolation and respect that can empower the sufferer to bear the pain, resist the humiliation, to overcome the guilt. Julian talks about a journey of love, but God is also present in journeys taken out of fear and journeys where there is great suffering. Listen now to Roger Owen's talk on the spiritual journey and the God who walks with us from his talk on postmodern spirituality as he begins by talking about Jacob. Do you remember Jacob in the book of Genesis? When he spent the night out under the stars, not because he wanted a little camping fun. He was on the run from his brother. He had tricked his brother one too many times. His mother discovered what his brother Esau was about to do. So she came to Jacob and said, Jacob, you need to know that your brother Esau is consoling himself by making plans to kill you. (laughs) It's time for you to get out of town. Go now to my brother Laban's in Haran. He was not on a well-planned camping trip. He was on the run. That might explain why he forgot his pillow. (laughs) He left in such a hurry. He's spending this night out under the stars because he fears for his life. On the run, he got to a certain place to stay for the night. The sun had set, it was dark, he needed to rest. Out under the stars, Jacob found a rock and put it under his head. He uses this hard stone for a pillow, and somehow he manages to fall asleep. And that's when he has this famous dream, that ladder and the angels and the Lord right beside him. It turned out to be a night to remember. Now, at first glance, we might say that Jacob has discovered, we might say that he stumbled onto one of these thin places, right? A place, and he's not in Ireland, but you know, it's the Holy Land, or close, uh, on the way there at least. Uh, it, you know, he stumbled onto a thin place, one of those places where the boundaries between the, our world and the spiritual world are, are sheer. But if we pay attention to the way the story is told, there's something about the way the story is told that makes me think that's probably not the case. And that's because in the Bible, the story begins this way. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. He came to a certain place. He doesn't even have a name. He came to a certain place and stayed there because the sun had said, you don't get more mundane and ordinary than that. He didn't stay there because there was a a vista that took his breath away. He didn't stay there because there was a a bubbling brook that, that calmed his soul. He didn't stay there because there was some magnetic spiritual energy that said, hunker down right here and something great will happen. He was at a certain place and the sun had set and when the sun sets, It means it's time to go to bed. Time to stop. It just happened. This place could be your backyard. It could be your church's playground. It could be your kid's school's playground. 
It could be an interstate rest area. It could be any of these. Jacob has not found a holy place. He's found an ordinary place. A certain place. An anonymous place. A no-place place. And that's where God finds him. The search for sacred places is quite natural to we humans. We like the feelings of awe and wonder. We like the feelings of something holy and inspiring. And so we travel to great cathedrals, the kinds of buildings that take our breath away. Or when we're doubtful or in crisis, we do the natural thing. We look for a, a sanctuary, a sacred place where we can connect with God. We look for the house of God, the gate of heaven. We naturally want to find a place where we can be close to God. But whoever would think that that place would be a nameless place with a rock for a pillow. Jacob is not on a search for God. He's not on an eat, pray, love trip around the world trying to find some inspiration. He's on a fear-filled journey away from an angry brother bent on killing him. And who would imagine that it's in that place, in that time, where God finds him? Jacob has not discovered a special place where it's easier to find God. He's discovered a God who can find him any place and every place. Here's another way to put it. We would like to find a place where there's a ladder we can climb to another world. We want to find a magic wardrobe like the children in Narnia. A ladder we can climb, a doorway we can walk through. But what we discovered is in our ordinary lives, the ladder just drops down. Not for us to climb up, but for God to climb down. And that can happen anytime, anywhere, any place, and every place. The ladder is already there. With this God who called Abraham and Sarah and promised them a child, and gave their child Isaac two sons who fought, so one of them had to run away. This God is not a God you find in a sacred grove or on a holy mountain. You don't go and search for this God like all the rest of the gods. This is a God who finds you. It's a God who comes to you wherever you are. This is a God who goes with you. This is a God who refuses to acknowledge the line of demarcation between the sacred and the profane. This is a God who refuses to acknowledge the line of demarcation between the sacred and the profane. It's also a God who likes camping. <laughs> right? You know that, because you read the first chapter of John every Christmas. Uh, he dwelt among us, and I know your preacher has told you this, or if you are a preacher, you tell every congregation once, because it's one of the favorite things preachers like to say, which is that line in the first chapter of the Gospel of John that says, he dwelt among us, literally means he pitched his tent among us. God climbed down the ladder, not at a thin place, but in a human person, and pitched mm -hmm. his tent. And God forgot his pillow, too. Mm -hmm. Remember the words of Jesus? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of place, son of man has no place to 
to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a place. He didn't set up an office. He didn't build a church. He didn't construct a shrine. He didn't have a place where you went to find him. His tent was portable. He wasn't tied down. He could find you any place. And that hasn't changed. Well, this is pretty good news, I think. For those of us who don't have the money to fly to Ireland or to go on expensive and long pilgrimages to the cathedrals of Europe or the rolling hills of Ireland or the ashrams of India. This is pretty good news for those of us who have elderly parents in nursing homes, right? God can meet you, will meet you, opening a can of insurance just as easily as God can meet you on Sunday mornings. God can meet you feeding yogurt to a messy toddler when you're at your wit's end. God can meet you in a place no more special or holy or seemingly sacred than the cubicle in your office or your office at your church. God can meet you at the sink in your kitchen, the bleachers at your kid's soccer game. Wherever you go is a thin place. Wherever you go is a thin place. Not because the place is special, but because God's tent is portable. And in Jesus Christ, God has chosen to find us where we are rather than waiting around for us to find him. So after the dream, a little alarm, Jacob took that rock pillow and he made it into an altar. And he gave the place a name. He said, this is the gate of heaven. This ordinary, anonymous, no place is the gate of heaven. It is the house of God. Some of us feel like our own lives are ordinary, anonymous, no places. And there might be nothing more important to us than to discover that our own lives, the gate of heaven, the house of God. The spiritual and physical journeys of the passion, the journeys that happen even amidst and following resurrection, all the journeys that we see in our holy texts, show us a God that promises presence, that saves through accompaniment and compassion, incarnation and companionship. Maybe Julian of Norwich put it best when she wrote, If there is anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it, for it was not shown to me. But this was shown, that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this installment of From the Well, a podcast from the Academy for Spiritual Formation. We encourage you to visit our website at academy.upperroom.org to learn more about our ministry and to continue the conversation about today's topic. You can join our mail list from the contact page and you can also find us on Facebook. From the Well is now available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Just search for From the Well or Academy for Spiritual Formation from within any of those services. From there, you can subscribe to our monthly podcast, find previous episodes, offer comments, and share it with others. Thank you and blessings on your journey.